Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation, live from Jersey City in the great state that we know of as New Jersey. Happy to be here. Happy that you're here. And really happy to present to you a great interview this evening with Jason Kebler, uh, 404 Media co-founder, talking about a wild story from New Jersey about surveillance. We're, we're going to get to that. Um, and Happy New Year. I know I said that a week ago on New Year's Day. I, I had a great conversation with station manager Ken Friedman on the first show of the year, as we always do every year. But uh, just in case you were celebrating the New Year and you didn't hear that show, Happy New Year from from me and the whole station here, from from all your friends at Tectonic and WFMU, and thanks for um, thanks for being with me for the first interview show of 2024. And there is something else I want to say about this evening's show, and that is that this is show number 300. I have been counting the shows since I started in 2017. It's a little over six years into the show now, and I'm not counting shows where I've had a, a guest host, where I've been absent for, for one reason or another, but almost all the shows I have been here as host, and, uh, and this is number 300. And I considered for this uh, number 300 show to do a, a kind of a retrospective or a a look back at some of the old shows, um, but I'm not going to do that <laughs> because I was considering it, and then I saw this news break uh, on 404 Media, thanks to Jason Kebler, and I thought, no, I got to cover this story. This is more important than me going back into the archives and and sharing old old uh, interviews. However, uh, in the spirit of this being uh, show number 300, after the interview, if I have a couple of minutes, I'm going to draw some connections to some previous shows that are in the archives, and I hope you'll see that there are some connections, uh, as there always are in my interviews, there are connections with uh, past shows and past guests, and if you're interested to, to dive in, there's a wealth of resources at WFMU.org uh, to listen to those old shows, those old interviews. Okay, so... Uh, show number 300, Happy New Year. We, 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 got, we got that said. Now let me tell you about this evening's interview. Uh, Jason Kebler, as I said, is co-founder of a news site called 404 Media. You're going to hear about that. We will talk about what 404 Media is doing uh, and how it's a little bit different or, or very different from a lot of the um, a lot of the other news platforms out there. And, uh, but first, we're going to get to this story that he broke just a few days ago on 404 Media. And it has to do, let me just, you'll hear it in the interview, but I'll just give, give you a summary. It's such a crazy thing. The state of New Jersey appears to have used COVID relief funds to purchase surveillance cameras to spy on you, if you're in New Jersey, uh, using cameras that were manufactured by a Chinese company that has been banned by the federal government because of its complicity in human rights abuses because their cameras are used to spy on Uyghurs 
in the police state of Xinjiang in western China, uh, an area that I have covered in uh, several past programs. And so you'll see that there are, if I, if I get to this after the interview, there are a number of threads that uh, connect back to, to past shows. But this, I want to play this interview so that you'll hear the story from Jason about what is happening in New Jersey and probably what's happening in the rest of the country and uh, outside the U.S. as well as the surveillance state grows all around us. Uh, if you'd like to join in the live listener chat, go to WFMU.org, click playlist and comments, and you can join other listeners uh, chatting away right now. If you're listening in the future to an archive or a podcast, go to tectonic.fm. That's T-E-C-H tonic.fm and find the January 8, 2024 show and click the playlist. You can read all the links to 404 Media and you can see the, uh, the, the silly images I put on the playlist and also read the listener comments. It's, it's all there. Let's hear now my interview with Jason Kebler on Tectonic on WFMU. Jason Kebler, welcome to Tectonic. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. I'm a fan of 404 Media, a new site since last August that you're a co-founder of, which we'll talk about. And over the last few months, I've been enjoying your reporting on 404 Media, and I wanted to focus on your most recent story, or one of your most recent stories, which is from January 3rd, 2024, with the headline, New Jersey used COVID relief funds to buy banned Chinese surveillance cameras. There's a lot going on in that one headline. <laughs> you know, I when we were going through what the headline would be, I had a much longer one and my colleagues were like, that's that's too much. And so we simplified it to this, which is still quite a lot. It's It's a lot. There's a lot going on in the headline because there's a lot going on in the story. And I thought I'd like to spotlight this for WFMU listeners because many of them live in New Jersey. And so some of them might be interested to know what sort of banned Chinese surveillance cameras may be watching them. But more broadly, all listeners should be interested in this story because it shows the spread of the surveillance state both in the U.S. and abroad. So let's let's start with a story. The thrust of the story is that there's a local company based in New Jersey, Packetalk, which sells surveillance equipment to state agencies, police agencies, and, and so on, that was caught by federal investigators, I guess, trying to pass off Chinese cameras as, banned Chinese cameras as legitimate equipment. Is that a good setup for the story? I think so. Yeah, that that's that's pretty much the thrust of it. Yeah, Packetalk. So they've been around for I think 15 or 20 years and they sell what's known as uh, ALPRs, which are automated license plate reader cameras as well as other surveillance cameras and they have contracts with Passaic, uh with Newark, with East Orange, with West Orange, with a uh, couple prosecutor's offices in New Jersey. And really, it was interesting to me because we write a lot about surveillance. And I had never heard of Packetalk before I started working on this story. But they are selling to almost, you know, 
many counties in in New Jersey and many cities in New Jersey, but they haven't seemed to have expanded their footprint outside of New Jersey. And what was interesting to me is that the technology that they're offering is relatively sophisticated. You know, ALPRs, there's there's a few different companies that sell these. They've become very common over the last few years. And basically what they do is they they track license plates. So New Jersey has championed this technology because they say that it can be used to uh, track stolen cars, for example. But this is a technology that, you know, has become pretty widespread over the last 10 years, but most of the companies selling it are like big national or international companies. So I was kind of surprised to see a company that was only based in New Jersey selling this technology. And and what happened was, it was basically selling Chinese technology, but but rebranding it. Right. So the, there's this company called Dahua Technology, which is the subject, among other Chinese technology firms, is the subject of a federal ban. Agencies, state and federal agencies, are not allowed to buy surveillance technology from Dahua, or I believe Hikvision is on the list as well. There's two or three others. Your piece in 404 Media links to the law, the John S. McCain, I forget the whole name of the act, but there's a law that was passed a few years ago that banned these technologies. According to your research in this article, it appears that Packetalk, this local New Jersey company, somehow procured Dahua cameras, but asked Dahua directly before they sent them over to the U.S., please remove your branding (laughs) so that no one knows these are actually banned cameras. So please remove the Dahua logo. And some of them had their color changed as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So as you mentioned, it is illegal for federal and uh, I believe state agencies to, to purchase cameras from Dahua. And, you know, Often when we talk about Chinese technology, I think there is sort of an overbroad fear of Chinese spying, for example. There have been Chinese tech companies that are sort of owned by the Chinese government or have very close ties to the Chinese government that may be sending that data back to China. But I think that there is a mix of like theater there as well as the reality. And I I can't profess to know exactly where Dawa falls on the sort of like are they sending footage back to China? But that's not even why they are banned. The reason that Dawa cameras are banned is because they are used by the Chinese government to surveil Uyghur prison camps in Xinjiang. So they've been tied to these horrific human rights abuses in China. And as part of this law, the U.S. government was like, we're not going to buy cameras from this company. And since then, the FCC has said that they pose a potential national security risk. They also make sort of like home cameras similar to Ring and Lowe's, Home Depot and Best Buy all stopped selling Dawa cameras because they were worried about both the human rights abuses, but also the potential that these cameras are not secure. So knowing all of this, (laughs) Packetalk went and basically negotiated a cheaper price according to these court documents that, you know, I based my reporting off of, but there were sort of like emails back and forth between Packetalk and Dawa, where the CEO of Packetalk says, well, you know, you're blacklisted by the U.S. government, so 
you know, you need to give me a good price if I'm going to go sell these to government agencies because I'm taking a huge risk. And the way that he was going to, you know, convince state and local governments that they could buy this these cameras is by saying, no, these are Packetalk cameras. And yes, they changed the color of the cameras and removed the Dawa logo. And so when the investigators caught him, he said, oh, I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. The cameras are just a shell. Um, it's actually running Packetalk software, not Chinese software on the inside. Kind of a flimsy excuse. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the main argument was uh, that because it's Basically, there was like a year-long FBI investigation into Packetalk, during which the state of New Jersey sort of approved Packetalk as one of its approved vendors while this FBI investigation was going on, which is kind of interesting to me that there was seemingly no collaboration between the FBI and the state of New Jersey. But um, there's an interview in the court documents, like an FBI interview, and that that is his main argument, that he like wipes the cameras of the software and replaces it with Packetalk software. But there's nothing in the documents that suggests this is actually the case. So we're not sure whether they're sort of off the shelf Dawa cameras or whether they've been repurposed in some way by this Packetalk company to run different software. We should say something about the cameras themselves. You mentioned the ALPRs, the automated license plate readers. These are cameras that as you said, monitor the license plate of every car driving past. You know, it's 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 uh, set up on the side of the road or above a road, and so it just documents who passes by and feeds it into some fusion center for the purposes of of police surveillance, surveilling everyone who drives past. Your article mentions that these cameras were intended to integrate with other surveillance systems. You write. A document about its deal with the township of West Orange advertises that Packetalk systems are, quote, capable of automated surveillance and notes that they integrate with other surveillance services such as gunshot detection by ShotSpotter, which I know has its own issues and own controversies, which I think I've covered on past shows. In other words, this is not simply a question of who's going to be supplying the ALPRs to sit on the Garden State Parkway. It's a profusion of surveillance systems, some of which were being supplied by banned Chinese vendors. But it, for me, raised a question in my mind. I wonder how many New Jersey residents understand the scale and the depth of the surveillance infrastructure that's being built up in their state all around them day by day. Yeah, I think you raise a really good point. And we did mention sort of the ALPR cameras, but Packetalk is selling a bigger automated surveillance system to a lot of these cities. It's not just the license plate scanning cameras. It's also what they're calling AI cameras, which, you know, a lot of companies are just putting the, the term AI to catch a buzz perhaps. But what they profess to do is, you know, if they detect some sort of anomaly, you can go back and like search through the footage very quickly. Uh, the sort of shot spotter integration, as you mentioned, shot spotter is a gunshot detection microphones that are in many cities what Packetalk was saying is that if ShotSpotter detected a gunshot, you know, the cameras would start filming, things like that. A lot of these cameras 
say that they have, you know, either object detection or facial recognition. And yeah, it, it, there's been a huge proliferation over the last few years, not just in New Jersey, of course, but all over the country. And even small police departments and small communities now have surveillance cameras and surveillance technology that was, you know, maybe military grade a f- just a few years ago. And a lot of it was bought with COVID funds. You write, the scale of the purchases highlight the surveillance tech buying bonanza that happened across government agencies with COVID funds. So you're pointing out that in the case of Packetalk, of the $35 million of, of purchases, what was it, $12 million or so, somehow were engineered with COVID funds from, from the CARES Act, which complicates the story a bit. Yeah, so I've been reporting on surveillance technology for a long time, and every major emergency seems to be an opportunity for governments and government contractors specifically to buy new toys, for lack of a better term. You know, like after 9-11, obviously there was the Patriot Act, there was all sorts of investment in surveillance technology and weapons in the militarization of police, et cetera, all sort of under the guise of, hey, let's prevent the next terrorist attack. During COVID, there was this idea that We didn't have the ability to do contact tracing in the way that maybe a place like uh, Singapore did, for example. And so you had all of these surveillance tech startups pitching infrared cameras to schools, infrared cameras to, you know, hospitals, to police departments, et cetera. And the initial pitch was like, you can use this to detect if someone in a crowd has a fever because they can detect temperature, but then tacked on to that would be, well, they also do all of this other sort of surveillance stuff. And because the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan had these huge carve-outs for just buying new technology, a lot of government contractors and a lot of, frankly, you know, state and local governments were like, we can get free money to buy new things. And that's exactly what happened here with Packetalk. There's like specific emails cited in the criminal complaint where the CEO of this company was saying to state and local governments, I can help this purchase comply with what is required by the law to make this a COVID purchase, more or less. And so one specific purchase was uh, like a trailer that was supposed to be used at COVID vaccine and testing sites that was going to have like these infrared cameras and a few other things. Um, And it was like, oh, you can like monitor security at these uh, testing sites. Well, there's no mass government COVID testing sites anymore. So presumably these have been refashioned into sort of like police surveillance products. Yeah, that's really interesting. The original intent was what can we do to find where the virus is? I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to give it as much credit as I can that in there somewhere was a rational impulse to actually to fight the pandemic. But as you say, these testing centers are no longer here. The infrared cameras, if I remember right from the pandemic years, were proven not really to work. A lot of people were, of course, with this particular virus were contagious before they had any symptoms. There's so many problems with the thinking behind this, this giant dollop of money to be applied to something that's no longer relevant. And then, of course, 
it gets repurposed for surveillance uses that are different from the original intent. Right. So I want to be clear, like, I'm very pro-government spending to prevent pandemics. I think that, you know, a lot of, I'm sure, surely a lot of good was done with the COVID relief funds. I think that when you have any program that is the scale that these were of, you have to figure out how to spend that money. And there's always going to be some people who are using it either with good intentions or, you know, government contractors who who may even have good intentions going in. But but what do you do with that technology after the COVID detecting at the scale we were trying to do it in 2020 and 2021? What happens when that goes away? At my old job, uh, we wrote about Motorola, which has like a big, you know, sort of the cell phone company has a big surveillance arm to it as well. They were giving out these big brochures to schools saying that there were $82 billion worth of COVID relief funds that could be used to sort of modernize schools. And when we were talking about getting kids back into schools, there was all this discussion about sort of like updating ventilation systems within schools, making the airflows better, modernizing HVAC systems, things like this, things that are like desperately, desperately needed. But alongside of that, you had these government contractors saying, well, like, while you're putting in these new HVAC systems, like, why don't you put in this like gun detecting AI at the door? And it can be part of this like larger uh, renovation that you're doing at your school. And, you know, our, our AI will detect students with COVID. And this technology was not really ever proven, but I think that there was a, a brief moment where there was like a, let's spend on anything that might help period. And during that time, it's like, I'm looking at the brochure now, they're saying, you know, do facial detection of, of students who are wearing face masks. <laughs> like we have contact tracing technology, we have thermal temperature sensing cameras, like all of this stuff. There's also social distancing technology where they say like, we can detect if the students are too close to each other. And it's like all of that technology can be repurposed for policing essentially. Well, and surveillance in schools. I mean, all of these systems, wherever they were going to be deployed, they're no longer being used for social distancing <laughs> compliance. You know, the, I just had Kashmir Hill from the New York Times on a few weeks ago talking about um, her new book about facial recognition. This stuff is everywhere now, and it has nothing to do with COVID. Mm -hmm. And one thing that strikes me about this article that you wrote for 404 Media is that if this complaint, if this FBI investigation had not occurred, we might not have gotten a window into the widespread purchase of surveillance equipment in New Jersey that was using COVID funds. I mean, it just so happened he was he was working with a banned vendor, so it was illegal, and he lied to investigators, it appears. But there's all across the U.S., it sounds like, there's repurposing of COVID funds for building surveillance systems. That was never the original intent. Yeah, that's exactly right. And surveillance technology has, it's just improved a lot over the last even five years where you do have now AI systems, connected cameras where, you know, previously you might have, you know, 50 surveillance cameras in a city, but none of those cameras could sort of like talk to each other more or less. And now you can track like an individual person 
from one place to the other, to the other, to the other on these sort of like integrated object and facial recognition systems in the background. Like I mentioned, I've been writing about surveillance for a long time. I think it's, you know, it's very interesting that COVID funds were used to buy these band cameras. And the fact that this guy was just like, hey, slap a new logo on there is interesting to me. But what I find to be like way more problematic and scary is just the creeping surveillance state in general, regardless of where these cameras are being made. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Exactly. Again, this article is a great reminder about what's happening that we're not aware of when it's being done uh, legally within the bounds of, of federal law. So it's, yeah. it's, great that, it's great that you brought this to our attention. And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. We are halfway through my interview with Jason Kebler, co-founder of a new news site called 404 Media. We're talking about his article from a few days ago discussing New Jersey's use of COVID funds to buy surveillance cameras from a banned Chinese manufacturer due to its complicity in human rights abuses. And as Jason is saying, and I'm agreeing, really the story here is the creeping surveillance state, no matter who makes the cameras. If you are interested in joining in the live listener chat, go to WFMU.org and click playlist and comments. Let's go ahead and listen now to the second half of my interview with Jason Kebler here on Tectonic on WFMU. Let's say a little bit about 404 Media, Jason. You mentioned your previous job. You were at Motherboard, which was part of Vice. And you left last August, August 2023, with Emmanuel Myberg and Samantha Cole and Joseph Cox. And together you formed 404 Media. Can you say a little bit about what the intent was behind 404 Media and how it's going? Yeah, so we're an independent reader-funded technology journalism website. Uh, We have a specific focus on surveillance, on privacy, on public records, on court records, things like this. So this specific story kind of checks many of our boxes. But I like to say, like, I'm obsessed with the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, I file a lot of public records requests all over the country about, you know, things I care about. Um, We also write a lot about AI. Uh, I have a huge interest in consumer rights as well. Like I write a lot about right to repair, which is the idea that you should be able to fix the things that you purchased. Um, You know, I wrote, I wrote a story a few weeks ago about a company in Poland, a train company in Poland that programmed its passenger trains to break and the sort of Polish hackers who were able to hack the trains to fix them. I read that Um, story. Fascinating. Yeah. So, so we launched in August, um, you know, it's reader funded. We, most of our, uh, most of our articles are available for free, but we, you know, sort of ask for reader subscriptions and it's been really liberating and, and really great. Like we've been very heartened by the public response. Like people have been very, um, just generous with 
their subscriptions and their time. And, you know, readers are sending us like, oh my God, I saw this article you wrote, you should investigate this, like this sort of thing. I think that our approach to reporting is something I call ground up reporting, where we try to focus on how technology impacts people um, and then sort of work our way up from there. So we like to sort of go down different rabbit holes and find uh, what specific like niche communities are talking about and what they care about and then sort of amplify what they care about most. So I've learned a lot about uh, sort of the business side of, of doing online media. It's a hard time for journalism and for media uh, in general. But I think that this sort of reader funded model and, you know, your listener funded model at WFMU is, it's been real, I feel really optimistic about it because it's going well. And we weren't sure when we launched if we were going to be able to pay our rent or, you know, if we would have to shut down within a month. And, you know, it's only been four months, but we're at a point where I'm like, okay, this is, this is becoming a real thing. Lots of people are reading us, you know, different people are talking about our stories. Our stories are getting picked up by bigger newspapers and stuff like that. And it feels, it feels really good to sort of be our own bosses. And you're, you're writing things that other people are not covering, I guess, following your ground up approach that you talked about. You're not just rehashing the headlines that you see in other publications. I mean, for example, this, this story about the Dawa cameras and the COVID funds in New Jersey, I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere else. And it should be mentioned. I mean, do you think it'll be picked up by New Jersey media? I think that it will. I mean, it, it's being picked up by you, which I, I really appreciate. Um, but yeah, we, we try not, we try to do as much original reporting as we possibly can. Uh, all of us are sort of veteran reporters. Like I've been doing this for 12 years. The other people on my team have been doing it about as long. And, you know, we've been in digital media for a really long time and I have nothing against bigger outlets, but there's a huge propensity to just sort of like follow whatever the biggest story and biggest narrative of the day is. So, you know, everyone writes the same, ver- a similar version of the same story. And you can read really similar versions of the same story on hundreds of different websites. And that's not to say that we're going to ignore the news. I, I like, I think that we write about the things that other people are talking about, but we try to find either new ways into those stories, like different, you know, angles that people hadn't thought about before, or to go complete, like completely sidestep that and find completely new stories that are impacting people, but that no other journalists have found yet. I think it's a really admirable experiment that you're doing, and I hope it succeeds. As you say, the listener-funded model can be a little scary, and... That, that is also WFMU's model. I mean, we rely on the listeners to fund what we're doing. And that gives us a lot of freedom. Just as you said, you, you have freedom to cover things in a different way, cover different stories. I really respect and admire what you're doing. I should tell listeners that if they want to go to 404 Media, the website is 404 media.co I like to say I like to say that the m in .com was $10,000 so we didn't we didn't <laughs> uh spring for that so yes it's 404media.co 
There is no M. There's one other story that I thought we could close with just to give listeners a little taste of, of the range of stories that you've written for 404 Media. This is from a few weeks ago. It's a piece called Facebook is being overrun with stolen AI-generated images that people think are real. <laughs> Again, a striking headline that tells most of the story. But contrary to the, the surveillance camera story, the visuals in this Facebook is being overrun story are fascinating. You do a deep dive into people who are trying to track down the originals of viral images that get remixed and copied and run through gen AI systems to make a million different permutations that are then shared on Facebook. Maybe we can just describe your first example to explain this a little better. There is a popular type of image, so you report, on Facebook. I wouldn't know. I don't have a Facebook account. But apparently, there's a popular image that gets shared all the time of a guy kneeling down next to a carved statue of a dog, which apparently he's used a chainsaw to carve. And the guy looks different in different images, and the dog looks different in different images, but it's always kind of the same setup. What's the deal with that viral image? Yeah, you you did a good job of explaining it. So there is a type of artists, I mean, there's not that many artists who do this, but there are chainsaw wood carving artists. And there's a specific guy in the United Kingdom who documents how he takes a big log like from a tree and carves dogs out of them. And he like films videos of himself doing them. He does like commissions essentially. Like you can buy a carving of your dog and presumably it costs thousands of dollars because it takes him weeks to do. But he also has like a Facebook account, Instagram account. He's, you know, become one of sort of like a Facebook influencer to some extent where he posts uh, videos of how he does it, but then also the finished product. So back in August, I believe, he published a photo of him kneeling next to this dog statue that he had carved and a few thousand people on Facebook liked it. And a few months later, there are now like hundreds of variations of that image that have all been slightly tweaked by AI that other Facebook pages have stolen and have reposted to basically like engagement farm. Like they're just trying to go viral on Facebook. I can tell that they are AI because I spend a lot of my time looking at AI generated images and I sort of know to look for at people's hands. Like often they're deformed, like they don't look correct. Sometimes Count the there's fingers. like, yeah, sometimes there's like these weird artifacts in them, et cetera. And also it's like, if you start looking for it, you'll see that this is all the same image, but the, the guy in it looks slightly different. So there's a Facebook group, which I also don't use Facebook anymore, but a reader told me about this group. So I joined it. And in this Facebook group, people on Facebook are tracking these stolen AI images like all over Facebook. And they've identified like a couple hundred different pages that are stealing this type of image and reposting it as though they are real. And what I mean by that is the caption will often be, I carved this dog 
with my own hands. Isn't it beautiful? And then there will be like hundreds or thousands of commenters <laughs> who are like, this is amazing. You are so talented. This is so cool. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's kind of, it's mostly funny sort of, but at the same time, there are several scary things about it. I think the one scary thing about it is that there are very few people who are seeing these images who have any idea that they've been run through in AI and AI generation technology is obviously getting better. So that is not going to, that's, that problem is not going away. And we mentioned dogs. People are doing this with tons of different images. I, we use the dog example, but there's this viral image of a young girl who is supposedly painted a picture, a self-portrait of herself. And, you know, this Facebook group has tracked like over a hundred different variations of that image, which was originally an actual photo of a Russian woman who had painted a picture like back in 2014. Um, and this, this image has just been like remixed so many times. But back to my point, it's like if people can't tell that these are fake, you know, they can obviously be manipulated into believing anything. To be very unkind, some of my colleagues said, you know, it's just like old people talking to themselves. Like they're, they're just sort of commenting on infinitely generating fake images over and over and over again. And there's no, no human on the other side. Like these images are just... AI generated nonsense, essentially. And Facebook doesn't have an immediate motivation to fix this issue because this is generating so much engagement, getting people to come back. This makes Facebook sticky. I mean, the possibility of people being manipulated <laughs> has never seemed to be that much of a concern for Mark Zuckerberg in the past. And as no. you say, superficially, this seems like maybe a benign issue. People are being taken advantage of for the price of a like or a heart or whatever it is on Facebook. But the precedent it sets is very dangerous that we have this major platform. I read somewhere recently that some incredible percentage of Americans get their news primarily from Facebook. I mean, it was, it was like 60 or 70%, if I remember right. It was, it was a right. scary number. And with Gen AI running amok and no regulations really curbing it or, or making sure that it's being used for, for good purposes, Facebook turning a blind eye to this problem. I mean, today we're laughing about the, someone being fooled by a fake guy carving a fake dog. But tomorrow, what's the fake content that's going to manipulate them into thinking something something much, much worse? That's what really bothers me. Yeah. And I mean, to be clear, it's not even a victimless crime because this guy who carves dogs, that is his job. And, you know, posting the images to Facebook is his job, more or less. And that's, you know, influencer is a is a job. People are doing it. And it takes him weeks to make one of these dogs. And then if the moment that he publishes images of the dog, they're just stolen and, you know, flooded out by these AI generated copies, it's like that devalues his work, I think. And so it is funny scrolling through it. I, I mostly look at it as like this particular iteration of it is a little bit ridiculous. And I think that you, you will see that if you go look at the images, like, I think this is one of those stories where the images really do tell 
what's going on here, but it's very easy to make it, to make a tiny leap and say, this could be very bad. This could be used for disinformation. It could be used to steal, you know, steal artists' work, et cetera. Well, to bring this full circle, there's a crisis in journalism right now as generative AI is being used not on 404 Media, but on a number of other outlets' websites. Uh, Gen AI is being used to publish fake stories by fake writers, and that devalues mm-hmm. the work of actual good journalists doing good work like you and your team are. So I feel like what you're doing, uh, what I'm trying to do, what the guy carving the dog is trying to do, people trying to do honest, solid work in a world dominated by unethical services like Facebook, it's a, it's, it's a fight worth fighting. And I hope our side wins. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think that there is backlash already and that there will continue to be a backlash. That's part of the reason why we launched 404 Media is that I think that people are yearning for content. I, I don't even mind calling it content. Some people don't like like yeah. that word, but it's like content that is made by humans for other humans. It's like when we write articles, we try to not pretend like we don't exist. Like we're not the voice of God, you know, completely divorced from from writing the article. We try to sort of show our work and explain who we are and our perspective on things. And I, I think that there's, you know, many, many, many really good journalists at big outlets. But I think that the sort of impartial view from nowhere type of journalism feels very impersonal to people. And it's very, it can be ripped off by AI, like relatively easily. Whereas I think if you are able to connect to, you know, some specific journalists or outlets or, you know, mediums or platforms that you really trust, that feels less likely to be automated out of existence by these AI tools that are sort of eating, eating everything, eating the entire internet. All right. So if listeners want to help resist the creep of generative AI in journalism and elsewhere, go to 404media.co, leave the last M off (laughs) and subscribe to 404 Media. I really appreciate you being on the show today. Jason Kebler, co-founder of 404 Media, who's shining a light on the surveillance state, and other impacts of technology on all of us. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show, and I hope you'll be back sometime. Yeah, thank you so much. This was really fun. I really appreciate it. back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the remaining 14 minutes of the show. And then Dave Mandel will come on with his show called It's Complicated. It's a prog rock show. You should listen to it. Then Bad Animals with Jim the Poet and Amanda. And then Daniel Blumen, brother Daniel Blumen with his eponymous show. 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. Hope you'll stay tuned for those great shows. And thanks to Jason Kebler from 404 Media for joining me 
to talk about his banger of an article. New Jersey used COVID relief funds to buy banned Chinese surveillance cameras. And then as a bonus, his, uh, his story from last month, Facebook is being overrun with stolen AI-generated images that people think are real. <laughs> I hope those two articles give you a sense that 404 Media is worth checking out, 404media.co, and there's links to those articles and 404 Media on the playlist for tonight's show at wfmu.org, where we've had a good discussion on the comment board, and I'm happy to say that Jason Kebler himself has joined in. Thanks for joining us live on the comment board, Jason. That's really cool. Um, I wanted to say a couple of things about the threads in this story as promised. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is episode number 300 that I've hosted on Tectonics since I started in September 2017, a little over six years. And in that time, I've covered a lot, I've tried to cover a lot of topics about technology and how it's affecting all of us. And one thing that I really appreciated about Jason's work, especially this New Jersey article, is how it was touching on a number of different threads that I've tried to cover and follow on Tectonic over the years. And so on the playlist, if you go to WFMU.org and you look at the links that I've posted, I've posted links to some of the past shows, some of the previous shows within these 300 that you might want to listen to if you want to dive in further on some of these topics. For example, Jason Kebler mentioned the proliferation of ALPRs, that's Automated License Plate Readers. I've covered ALPRs in the past. Um, Back on July 19, 2021, I talked to John Fasman, who wrote a book called We See It All, Liberty and Justice in an Age of Perpetual Surveillance. And ALPRs, this is, keep in mind, this is uh, uh, two and a half years ago, Fasman was already telling us, get ready because ALPRs are coming. And can, can I just say something about this? You know, oh, these, these banned Chinese cameras are being used to surveil the comings and goings of New Jersey residents. And probably, as we said in the interview, it's happening in other states as well. It's just due to uh, Packetalk using the Dawa cameras that, that this has come to light. But you can imagine ALPRs proliferating in every state in this country. And if you live outside the U.S., they're probably proliferating where you live as well. And here's the thing. Surveillance back in the day, <laughs> before the, the age of, of easy and low-cost data and surveillance, what was supposed to happen is when the police thought they had a bad guy, they had some evidence that they knew who the bad guy was, they would come with a warrant and they would say, we want to spy on someone, but we're doing it because we have some evidence that this might be a bad guy. And so it's, it's for the public good that we, we track this individual, we spy, we surveil his, his movements. And that's totally fine in my book. When the police have a reason to go after a bad guy, go and do it. The ALPRs and all the surveillance equipment that is coming with this, this ambient surveillance state that's being built all around us is totally different. It totally subverts that original idea. Here's what it means now. The police say, we're going to set up ALPRs everywhere, and we're going to capture every single license plate that comes 
on this roadway, and we're going we're gonna to capture where it was, who it was, what time it was, and, and we're going to fuse that, as, as Kebler and I were talking about, we're going to fuse that with other location data we have from other ALPRs further down the road, and there may be other kinds of surveillance equipment that also gets fused in that fusion center. And so they, the police are going to have, the, and I don't, I don't mean to dump just on the police, the government, the state apparatus is going to have access to your location at all times. That's the goal. And why? Why? What is, what is the rationale for this? Well, well, we used COVID funds because, you know, you got a social distance. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. What's the real reason? Well, well, because we have to capture all the information because, you know, in a population this big, there's going to be an occasional bad guy and we're going to have to track where the bad guy was. Now, now we're getting somewhere because, yes, there are bad guys that need to be surveilled, but you got to come with a warrant. That's how it should work. But instead, all of us are being surveilled as though we're the bad guys. And all of our privacy is being handed over to the government and these horrible companies known as Facebook, Google, Apple, Amazon, Uber, Airbnb, and so on. In order for, for what? The companies get to monetize it and the government gets more and more and more power, unaccountable power over the citizens. This is the wrong way to run a society. And these cameras coming from Dawa, where they're being used in the western region of Xinjiang, China, to build a prison state to oppress the Uyghur Muslims there, millions, millions of people under unjust oppression, and probably a million or more in prison camps right now. And I have covered that on past shows. Go to the playlist. Listen to the show from April 22, 2019 with Paul Mosier from the New York Times, or listen to the January 17, 2022 show with Darren Byler, who wrote a book called In the Camps, China's High-Tech Penal Colony. Or if you want to hear more about the Chinese prison state, go to June 7, 2021, and listen to my interview with Amelia Pong, who wrote a book called Made in China, A Prisoner, an SOS Letter, and the Hidden Cost of America's Cheap Goods. A lot of the prisoners are, are put to work building these, these, these low-cost products that then get sold at Target and, and places like that. So the, 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 this, is a, this is a complicated, interwoven set of problems that we're facing here. When you hear about what's happening in Xinjiang, you say, oh, that's, that's kind of, that's, I've never heard it. It sounds foreign. It's hard to pronounce. I don't even know where it is. Maybe I, can, maybe I can ignore it. No, you can't because the same cameras there are now being used to surveil you here in New Jersey. And if you live outside New Jersey, it may not be Chinese cameras that are surveilling you. They may be good old red, white, and blue American surveillance companies that are now surveilling you. And it's wrong. It's wrong. And thank goodness there are people like Jason Kebler and the team at 404 Media that are bringing to light stories like this. If you're interested, I hope you'll check out their work, and I hope you'll, you'll pay attention, as I do, to what they're doing there. That's about all the time I have this evening, friends. Uh, you are listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. And I have for episode 300 a little, little surprise for you. Web Hamster Henry came up with my sign-off uh, sung by an AI choir, sort of, uh, using, using an, an, an AI tool. And, uh, and after we hear the sign-off, we are going to hear a song that was recommended to me by WFMU's own Wendy Del Formaggio, whose show Wreck Your Own Adventure 
from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. on our Give the Drummer radio stream. It's well worth listening to as well. Uh, it's a song called Eyes Everywhere by a band called Why Bother. So thank you to uh, Wendy Del Formaggio for bringing it up. So we're going to hear the Web Hamster-generated uh, sign-off, and then we're going to go into Eyes Everywhere. And all I can say, friends, is if you are interested in what's happening, uh, as, as Jason Kebler brought up in this story, I hope you'll dive in. I hope you'll dive into 404 Media. I hope you'll dive into the archives of these now 300 episodes of Tectonic, in which I have tried to bring you experts, authors, journalists, activists, trying to raise awareness about the surveillance state, the misbehavior of, of the corporations, that, the trillion-dollar corporations that now run our economy and, uh, and are spreading injustice everywhere. And uh, as, you raise, as, as you get your awareness raised, you'll decide what your next step is going to be. And I am looking forward to seeing what that is. And I will see you next week, friends. Thanks again for being with me. And stay tuned for Dave Mandel here in a couple of minutes. Remember, friends, avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google. Jason Kebler, welcome to Tectonic.
and hello. A lot going on in that one headline. <laughs> <laughs> hello, greetings, and welcome. It's 7 p.m. here at Listener Supported WFMU, which means it's time for this week's exciting installment of It's Complicated, an hour of Prague and Prague adjacent music. I'm your host, Dave Mandel. I'm here every week in this slot. Thanks for joining me. Uh, we're going to start tonight's show. I'm not fully prepared. I'm almost prepared. Almost. Here we go. We're going to start tonight's show with a track that I only just discovered a few days ago and just a revelation to me. We're going to hear something by a guy named Matt Berry. He is, I guess, better known, I, I, I know, definitely better known in the UK than here in the States. He's an actor, I think mainly a TV actor, a, uh, a very, very, a pretty famous one, a very well-known one. But he's also a musician, and he, among other things, he, he was in a band called Milkbone, who we'll hear at some point, not tonight, but he also put out a, has put out a lot of music under his own name. And I was surprised to discover this recently, which is a cover of, and I, I have to say this because it's actually not obvious at all, cover of a Pink, Pink Floyd tune, namely Any Color You Like, which is an instrumental piece that appeared on the Dark Side of the Moon album. And it's not obvious. It's, he takes some liberties with it. That's okay. That's fine. So we're going to hear it now. Again, this is Matt Berry, Any Color You Like.
Lovely. Matt Berry and his interpret his loose interpretation of any color you like, the Pink Floyd tunes from a an album called Night Terrors from two thousand seventeen. Actor and musician Matt Berry. I'm gonna play something now from a group active in the early eighties, English another another English artist, another English group called IQ. And how many groups named IQ were there? There are these. There are certain group names. Sometimes I'll look. I'll look on Discogs, Discogs.com, which is the the greatest, the sort of official place to find the uh, all the all the in, discogra- disc- discographical information, biographical information on the most obscure groups in the world. You, you search you search for a group named IQ on Discogs, and you'll probably get. 75 hits. Am I right? Anyway, this is the only IQ that matters to us right now. A group, uh, again, er, uh, active in the early 80s, I guess. We're going to hear something from 1983. And it's, and that's probably obvious because it's, it's very, it's, 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 it's proggy. It's in, it's in seven eighths time, if I remember correctly, but it's kind of new wavy. It's kind of it sounds like it sounds like it's from 1983, and the cover, in fact, the cover of the album also is kind of new wavy and kind of poppy. Anyway, enough of that. You can judge whether I'm right or full of it right now. This is a track called "Awake and Nervous" from the group IQ. Mm-hmm. 